Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody come back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked drawer today, didn't you? You tried. How do the dead come back, Mother? What's the secret? New York. September the 30th, C.P. Flash. Ambassador Hollywell died here today. The end came suddenly as the ambassador was alone in his study. There is something ungodly about these nightwire jobs. You sit up here, on the top floor of a skyscraper, and listen in to the whispers of a civilization. New York, London, Calcutta, Bombay, Singapore. They're your next-door neighbours after the streetlights go dim and the world has gone to sleep. Alone in the quiet hours between two and four, the receiving operators doze over their sounders, and the news comes in. Fires and disasters and suicides. Murders, crowds, catastrophes. Sometimes an earthquake with a casualty list as long as your arm. The nightwire man takes it down almost in his sleep, picking it off on his typewriter with one finger. Once in a long time, you prick up your ears and listen. You've heard of someone you knew in Singapore, Halifax or Paris long ago. Maybe they've been promoted, but more probably they've been murdered or drowned. Perhaps they just decided to quit and took some bizarre way out, made it interesting enough to get into the news. But that doesn't happen often. Most of the time you sit and doze and type, tap, tap on your typewriter and wish you were home in bed. Sometimes, though, queer things happen. One did the other night, and I haven't got over it yet. I wish I could. You see, I handle a night manager's desk in a western seaport town. Uh, what the name is doesn't matter. There is, or rather there was, only one night operator on my staff, a fellow named John Morgan, about 40 years of age, I should say, and, and a sober, hard-working sort. He was one of the best operators I ever knew, what is known as a double man. That means he could handle two instruments at once and type the stories on different typewriters at the same time. He was one of the three men I ever knew who could do it consistently, hour after hour, and never make a mistake. Generally, we used only one wire at night, but, but sometimes, when it was late and the news was coming fast, the Chicago and Denver stations would open up a second wire, and then Morgan would do his stuff. He was a wizard, a mechanical, automatic wizard who functioned marvellously, but was without imagination. On the night of the 16th, he complained of feeling tired. It was the first and last time I had ever heard him say a word about himself, and I'd known him for three years. It was just three o'clock, and we were running only one wire. I was nodding over reports at my desk and not paying much attention to him when he spoke. Jim, he said, does it feel close in here to you? Well, I know, John, I answered, but I'll open a window if you like. Never mind, he said. I reckon I'm just a little tired. That was all he said. And I went on working. 
Every 10 minutes or so, I would walk over and take a pile of copy that had stacked up neatly beside the typewriter as the messages were printed out in triplicate. It must have been 20 minutes after he spoke that I noticed he'd opened up the other wire and was using both typewriters. I thought it was a little unusual, as there was nothing very hot coming in. On my next trip, I picked up the copy from both machines and took it back to my desk to sort out the duplicates. The first wire was running out the usual sort of stuff, and I just looked over it hurriedly. Then I turned to the second pile of copy. I remembered it particularly because the story was from a town I'd never heard of, Zebico. Here's the dispatch. I saved a duplicate of it from our files. Zebico, September 16, CP, Bulletin. The heaviest mist in the history of the city settled over the town at four o'clock yesterday afternoon. All traffic has stopped and the mist hangs like a pall over everything. Lights of ordinary intensity fail to pierce the fog, which is constantly growing heavier. Scientists here are unable to agree as to the cause, and the local weather bureau states that the like has never occurred before in the history of the city. At 7pm last night, municipal authorities... more. That was all there was. Nothing out of the ordinary at a bureau headquarters. But as I say, I noticed the story because of the name of the town. It must have been 15 minutes later that I went over for another batch of copy. Morgan was slumped down in his chair and had switched his green electric light shade so that the gleam missed his eyes and hit only the top of the two typewriters. Only the usual stuff was in the right-hand pile. But the left-hand batch carried another story from Zebico. All press dispatches come in takes, meaning that parts of many different stories are strung along together, perhaps with but a few paragraphs of each coming through at a time. The second story was marked, Add Fog. Here's the copy. At 7pm, the fog had increased noticeably. All lights were now invisible, and the town was shrouded in pitch darkness. As a peculiarity of the phenomenon, the fog is accompanied by a sickly odour, comparable to nothing yet experienced here. Below that, in customary press fashion, was the hour, 3.27, and the initials of the operator, J.M. There was only one other story in the pile from the second wire. Here it is. Second ad, Zebico Fog. Accounts as to the origin of the mist differ greatly. Among the most unusual is that of the sexton of the local church, who groped his way to headquarters in a hysterical condition and declared that the fog originated in the village churchyard. It was first visible as a soft grey blanket clinging to the earth above the graves, he stated. Then it began to rise higher and higher. A subterranean breeze seemed to blow it in billows, which split up and then joined together again. Fog phantoms, writhing in anguish, twisted the mist into queer forms and figures, and then, in the very thick midst of the mass, something moved. I turned and ran from the accursed spot. Behind me, I heard screams coming from the houses bordering on the graveyard. Although the sexton's story is generally discredited, a party has left to investigate. 
Immediately after telling his story, the sexton collapsed and is now in a local hospital, unconscious. Queer story, wasn't it? Not that we aren't used to it, for a lot of unusual stories come in over the wire. But for some reason or other, perhaps because it was so quiet that night, the report of the fog made a great impression on me. It was almost with dread that I went over to the waiting piles of copy. Morgan didn't move, and the only sound in the room was the tap-tap of the sounders. It was ominous. Nerve-wracking. There was another story from Zebico in the pile of copy. I seized on it anxiously. New lead, Zebico Fog, CP. The rescue party, which went out at 11pm to investigate a weird story of the origin of a fog, which, since late yesterday, has shrouded the city in darkness, has failed to return. Another and larger party has been dispatched. Meanwhile, the fog has, if possible, grown heavier. It seeps through the cracks in the doors and fills the atmosphere with a depressing odour of decay. It is oppressive, terrifying, bearing with it a subtle impression of things long dead. Residents of the city have left their homes and gathered in the local church where priests are holding services of prayer. The scene is beyond description. Grown folk and children are alike terrified and many are almost beside themselves with fear. Amid the wisps of vapour which partly veil the church auditorium, an old priest is praying for the welfare of his flock. They alternately wail and cross themselves. From the outskirts of the city may be heard cries of unknown voices. They echo through the fog in queer, uncadenced minor keys. The sounds resemble nothing so much as wind whistling through a gigantic tunnel. But the night is calm, and there is no wind. The second rescue party, more. I am a calm man and never in a dozen years spent with the wise have been known to become excited. But despite myself, I rose from my chair and walked to the window. Could I be mistaken? Or far down in the canyons of the city beneath me did I see a faint trace of fog? Cha. It was all imagination. In the press room, the click of the sounders seemed to have raised the tempo of their tune. Morgan alone hadn't stirred from his chair. His head had sunk between his shoulders. He tapped the dispatches out on the typewriters with one finger of each hand. He looked asleep. But no, endlessly, efficiently, the two machines rattled off line after line as relentlessly and effortlessly as death itself. There was something about the monotonous movement of the typewriter keys that fascinated me. I walked over and stood behind his chair, reading over his shoulder the type as it came into being word by word. Ah, he was another. Flash, Zebico, CP. There will be no more bulletins from this office. The impossible has happened. No messages have come into this room for twenty minutes. We are cut off from the outside, and even the streets below us. 
I will stay here with the wire until the end. It is the end, indeed. Since 4pm yesterday, the fog has hung over the city. Following reports from the section of the local church, two rescue parties were sent out to investigate conditions on the outskirts of the city. Neither party has ever returned. Nor was any word received from them. It is quite certain now that they will never return. From my instrument, I can gaze down on the city beneath me. From the position of this room on the 13th floor, nearly the entire city can be seen. Now I can see only a thick blanket of blackness where customarily are lights and life. I fear greatly that the wailing cries heard constantly from the outskirts of the city are the death cries of the inhabitants. They are constantly increasing in volume and are approaching the centre of the city. The fog hangs over everything. If possible, it is even heavier than before. But the conditions have changed. Instead of an opaque, impenetrable wall of odorous vapour, there now swirls and writhes a shapeless mass in contortions of almost human agony. Now and again, the mass parts and I catch a brief glimpse of the streets below. People are running to and fro, screaming in despair. A vast bedlam of sound flies up to my window, and above all is the immense whistling of unseen and unfelt winds. The fog has again swept over the city, and the whistling is coming closer and closer. It is now directly beneath me. God, an instant ago the mist opened and I caught a glimpse of the streets below. The fog is not simply vapour. It lives. By the side of each moaning and weeping human is a companion figure, an aura of strange and vari-coloured hues. How the shapes cling, each to a living thing. The men and women are down, flat on their faces. The fog figures caress them, lovingly. They are kneeling beside them. They are. But I dare not tell it. The prone and writhing bodies have been stripped of their clothing. They are being consumed piecemeal. A merciful wall of hot, steamy vapour swept over the whole scene. I can see no more. Beneath me, the wall of vapour is changing colours. It seems to be lighted by internal fires. No, it isn't. I've made a mistake. Uh, the colours are from above, reflections from the sky. Look up, look up. The whole sky is in flames. Colours as yet unseen by men or demons. The flames are moving. They've started to intermix. The colours are rearranging themselves. They're so brilliant that my eyes burn, yet they're a long way off. Now they've begun to swirl, to circle in and out, twisting in intricate designs and patterns. The lights are racing each with each, a kaleidoscope of unearthly brilliance. I, I have made a discovery. There is nothing harmful in the lights. They radiate 
force and friendliness, almost cheeriness. But by their very strength, they hurt. As I look, they are swinging closer and closer, a million miles at each jump, millions of miles with the speed of light. Ah, it is light, the quintessence of all light. Beneath it, the fog melts into a jeweled mist, radiant, rainbow-coloured, of a thousand varied spectra. I can see the streets. Why? They're filled with people. The lights are coming closer. They're all around me. I'm enveloped. I... The message stopped abruptly. The wire to Zebiko was dead. Beneath my eyes in a narrow circle of light from under the green lampshade, the black printing no longer spun itself letter by letter across the page. The room seemed filled with a solemn quiet, a silence, vaguely impressionable, powerful. I looked down at Morgan. His hands had dropped nervelessly at his sides while his body had hunched over peculiarly. I turned the lampshade back, throwing the light squarely in his face. His eyes were staring, fixed, filled with a sudden foreboding. I stepped beside him and called Chicago on the wire. After a second, the sounder clicked its answer. Why? But there was something wrong. Chicago was reporting that Wire 2 had not been used throughout the evening. Morgan, I shouted, Morgan, wake up. It isn't true. Someone's been hoaxing us. Why? In my eagerness, I grasped him by the shoulder. His body was quite cold. Morgan had been dead for hours. Could it be that his sensitised brain and automatic fingers had continued to record impressions even after the end? I shall never know, for I shall never again handle the night shift. Search in a world atlas discloses no town of Zebico. Whatever it was that killed John Morgan will forever remain. A mystery. So that was H.F. Uh, Arnold's story, The Nightwire. And I want to say something about H.F. Arnold. So this story has been much anthologized. It first appeared in 1926 in Weird Tales. So you probably know that during the 20s and 30s, this was the golden age of um, amazing stories, weird tales, so-called pulp fiction, which was sensationalized, but had, there was a huge market for fantasy and science fiction and weird tales that were the supernatural, but not in the sense of the traditional ghost story. These had kind of science fiction elements in them. They were not just the dead returning from the grave, although they could be, but um, they usually had 
um, material that have been influenced, if you think of people like Lord Dunsany and people like that, the early fantasy writers, and so H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is the great, the famous weird tales writer, but there are many others, many, many others, and H.F. Uh, Arnold was one of these. So this was 1926 in Weird Tales. So I got this, well, I've read it a couple of times, uh, and I got this from a, copy, a book called The Weird, um, which is a fantastic anthology, and I'll put a link to it um you can get it i think if you buy it it's like 50 quid 50 pounds but if you if you get it on kindle it's only about three pound 50 so it's definitely worth it. it's huge uh, kindle wise anyway so it's got lots and lots of stories going right back anyway this is one of them now many other people if you look on youtube other people have done this and there's some great adaptations and <laughs> maybe better better than mine in fact uh one i particularly like is done uh, i'll do a link to it as well is is done in a, an authentic american accent because this is an, an american story i decided to do it in my normal voice and it's also done with sound effects now you know how i love sound effects other people don't love them so much but i really love sound effects because i love um radio drama you know, the old radio plays. I think um, I, I love that because my stepdad used to have lots of records, uh, actual vinyl records of the goons and people like that. And he used to love listening to this. This was actually my real delight, listening to radio plays and radio comedies that are scripted dramas. Anyway, I digress as usual. So H.F. Arnold, um, there are many versions of this story, but I liked it so much I really wanted to do it. And I have. It's only short. So um, Lovecraft. Incidentally, loved this story, apparently. So, for a long time, people said nobody knew who he was. If you read the common in the anthologies, up until the one I've got, um, you, you see that people say, oh, H.F. Arnold, it might not have even been his real name, and nobody knows who he was. He only published three stories in his lifetime. Uh, one was The Night Wire, 1926, which was in Weird Tales, and then he did um, in The City of Iron Cubes in March-April, 1926, in Amazing Stories, and he also did one... I think in weird tales which no in amazing stories it was when atlantis was yeah, there you go but in fact if you do my research i looked on goodreads and there's a guy called william russell who's done a lot of research into hf arnold and he says he's not an enigma at all he's actually a well-known bloke he graduated from the midwest he went then to work in hollywood in the publicity for sam goldwyn's movie studio and he rose to publicity director he died when he was 61 um, he was a big cheese in in california in hollywood in uh, movie publicity he wrote some stories but he was pretty busy doing other things as well in his main job and he won various awards for in if I, for being a i guess i see him like um, a, that madman almost but for movies so there's probably a, a, a very good movie to be made of his life but yeah, so he isn't he isn't um, um, an enigma at all. He's quite well known, as it turns out. He just didn't write many stories. But when he did, he did some goodness, particularly this one. So let me talk about this one, um, The Nightwire. So why I love it is that intro, that scene setting. You're, there you are on the top of Skyscraper. It's night shift. Everybody's sleepy-dozy. It's quiet. There's some stories come in a lot of the time, nothing much, and this guy can almost do it in his sleep. And what they do is they come in down the wire, Morse code, and he taps them out and turns them into copy, into TypeScript, and then 
our narrator is the editor presumably he looks at it and sees yeah is there anything worth going in the morning's paper okay so that's what it is and then they get this weird additional channel comes through this place Zebico with the story of the mist and so the the fact that a new channel comes through which later Chicago says never existed is weird the supernatural evil is communicated through the wires and kills Mr. Morgan, John Morgan, the very talented. What a waste. He could do it in his sleep. He was multitasking. I can't do that. Uh, who can? Uh, only him and he's dead. Uh, so, um, and in fact, he never existed. Let's get, be clear about that before we start talking about dogs again. Uh, he, he never really existed, John Morgan. He was maybe based on somebody. And in fact, if you read the bit, and I'll do a link, yeah, to Goodreads, there's a bit of a backstory in that he may be based on the guy who drowned on the Titanic that HF, as I call him, used as inspiration. So, so that's, for me, it's that scene setting of the the sleepy thing so i have lots of associations jumping off that my own time on night shifts so we used to work night shifts and there was only one of us on so i worked in a general hospital and i was the mental health crisis team and um at night we used to go out to people's houses but you can imagine that's a fairly dangerous thing to do in the middle of the night go on your own so we stopped doing that fairly early on and we would only go to really two places one was accident emergency when people would be brought in either by themselves, by a relative or by ambulance, or the police station. And we go and see people in police custody as well, because those were safe-ish places. Police presumably is safe, although I've been nearly assaulted a couple of times in police custody. Um, but certainly uh, A&E can be pretty hairy in the middle of the night. And if it, actually, and this, I don't mean to be disparaging, but I can't really remember ever seeing anybody in a night shift that wasn't under the influence of drink or drugs. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, and I'm sure it does did happen, but those people stick in my mind. Anyway, night shift. And if it was a quiet night, um, I would get all my paperwork done, and we'd follow, do all the paperwork, because we had paperwork in those days, not just computers. And um, by four o'clock in the morning, you get cold at four o'clock, and you're on your own, and you start to get a bit sleepy, dreamy. I must admit, once or twice I did nod off, but don't tell my boss. So there we are. So there's that a certain atmosphere. And then, of course, other associations are like play mystery, misty for me. So I, I may have said before, my real ambition is to be an, a late night DJ and just to talk like this and put soothing dub on, probably. Late night dub by Fink. Probably put that on. Um, really slow blues and dub. Anyway, you may, nobody might listen to me. But that I would love to do that. So this associates with that. And of course, then there's the Stephen King movie, um, a novella, actually. He wrote a novella, 1980, called The Mist. And it was made into a reasonably okay movie in 2007, which it's better at the beginning. It's really done well, the, the beginning when the mist rolls in. And uh, the people are trapped in a supermarket, I think. And that is really good. That really ramps up what is out there, what is out there. And it's like uh, what they always say with horror movies and ghost stories. As soon as you reveal the monster, the tension dissipates a little bit. Think of Alien. Alien, the first Alien, was great when you didn't see the monster. I'm going to talk about Twin Peaks again. When, when we didn't know who Bob was, that was... Scarier, and then we find out. We find out. We see the alien, and we, and then with all of these things, not in the night wire, but certainly in the mist. And that, that's what I thought. How it went wrong. Okay. 
there are weird things in the mist in Stephen King, and there are weird things in this. What is so? There's an association, the sexton, which I was talking to. I, I want to write a story. I've got an idea for a story called The Sexton and the Bride. Uh, and I was talking to Sheila about this, and she was saying, well, a lot of people won't know what a sexton is these days. It's basically the bloke who dug your graves. Uh, anyway, in this story, he says the mist comes from the graveyard and there are shapes. So we get, and, and, and there's a, an underworld debris, so there's some kind of tortured soul thing coming up from hell and the association with the underworld, which is ancient, you know, Christian, but also Greek and Roman uh, stories as well. So the idea that... And, and one of the Celtic words for the in, in Welsh for the underworld is anoven, which may mean the very deep or the underneath, you know, that, that kind of... This exceedingly deep, I think it means, really. Yeah, lots of associations. It's a simple little story, you know. Uh, these awful things come out, and then the weirdness is... It doesn't turn out to be a dream. It's inexplicable. So an inexplicable thing has happened. John Morgan dies, and it could be of natural causes but it could be because of what came through the wires. So I, I, I love this story, particularly for the imagery. We're in a skyscraper at night in a big city looking down the canyons. I think he even uses the word canyons. And we see the mist filling up. Well, we don't. It's described. And there are things in the mist. And you're like, oh, we're safe up here, but we don't want to go down there. And then, you know... So, yeah, I like it, I like it, I like it. Yeah, it is it is definitely that late night, sleepy time atmosphere. Night shift atmosphere, make me sleepy even talking about it. But then what dreams will come? Anyway, that's that. So, as you see, this is another one of the ones I've decided to do by video. I'm, I've, I've changed the title as well because I'm, I like to think I'm getting better. What else is happening? We still haven't moved. Um, I'm still in my mother's house. She's still treating me very well. Um, I'm still seeing Sheila at the weekends. Uh, she went to see some sunflowers today in a big field. Now I went out with my mother uh, to take her for a coffee. Just and I'm offered to buy her lunch, which she didn't want because she eats a lot of sweeties secretly. She doesn't think I know that, but I do. She says I I don't hardly eat anything, and then I see the wrapping papers. And uh, I said, <laughs> we went shopping, and when I went looking for some uh, salsa, uh, she, I came back, and the basket's like full of sweets and biscuits. Uh, well, you need something, don't you, too? She doesn't drink or smoke, so. Okay, that's it, really. Oh, yeah, no seagulls here, but owls calling, and last night, foxes barking down by the river. So, wildlife city. I hope you're all well. I'm keeping on, keeping on. Oh, yeah, the other thing is, if you've got any ideas for stories I should read, people have sent me great ones. If you've sent me one before, I've lost most of them in the massive comments. So what I need you to do is send me them again. I've got a a, um, a database. I'm starting a database because I'm a big Notion user. We could talk about this all day, but we won't. We're not going to talk about this all day. We're going to talk about classic ghost stories. And when we finished... Talking about classic ghost stories, we're going to shut up. Okay, so that is it. Zip. Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody Some come back. back. Isn't that so? Everybody come back. 
Isn't that sudden? Isn't that sudden? Isn't that sudden?